This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's mortgage mentor with more than 35 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. You'll learn to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently. Also, be sure to check out Jen's book, Launch, How to Take Your Business to New Heights. Available on Amazon. For a signed copy, contact Jen at jenduplessis.com. Now, here is certified mortgage planner and CEO of Kinetic Spark Consulting, Jen Duplessis. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I have such a special guest with me today, uh, Michael Frattentoni, who is the Chief Economist and Senior Vice President at our Mortgage Bankers Association. I say our because, you know, they are our representative, really. And, um, you know, I love the, Mor the Mortgage Bankers Association. I'm really fortunate that um, MBA is located here in my hometown of Washington, D.C., and um, so let me tell you a little bit about uh, Mike before he hops on here. He's, again, the MBA's Chief Economist and Senior Vice President of Research and Industry Technology. He oversees uh, MBA's industry surveying, uh, benchmarking studies, economic and mortgage origination forecasts, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's very wide what he does. But what he most specifically does that we're interested in as mortgage lenders, for those of you that are on the call that are or on the uh, listening in that our mortgage lenders is the forecast for 2019. And so this is always one of the most favorite listen to podcasts because everyone wants to know what the MBA is thinking about uh, what's going to happen globally, or I should say globally in the, in the context of nationally um, with the economy and how that relates to mortgages and real estate as a whole. So Mike, thank you so much for taking time out of your really, really hectic day to join us today. Pleased to be with you. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I'm always, always thrilled to uh, listen to what you have to say. Uh, you know, so now listen in, people, because as you're hearing here, you're going to find that Mike is not the traditional economist that you're thinking about saying, okay, uh, you know, it's not going to be a dry conversation. It's going to be very um, interactive and um, very fun, and I think you're going to absolutely love this. Um, and I would encourage you to share this with your colleagues as much as you possibly can. So, Mike, I know that you just came off of, you know, I had the fortunate opportunity to see you um, maybe a month ago. I guess it was the beginning of September. Gosh, time is flying. Um, beginning of September, we were both speaking at the... Um, NAMBA, National Association of Minority Mortgage Bankers of America event here in Washington, D.C., and that's when I asked you to come on, and I know that you just came off of also updating that particular presentation with new data for the National Mortgage Bankers Association annual convention that was just held, I believe, last week, right? Was it last week? Time's flying for That's me. right. Yeah, <laughs> I had uh, 4,200 mortgage bankers down at the Washington, D.C. Convention Center. Yeah, that's, oh, that's awesome. And it, it's always a wonderful event. And um, so I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. So I'm going to be quiet and let you talk about, you know, what we want to do is we want to talk about the national um, economic forecast, and then we'll kind of dive into more mortgage-specific things. That'll keep people on this uh, podcast for a little while, too. Haha, -ha, my little way of doing that. <laughs> but um, so tell us a little bit about what's going to happen, where are we at now, and what's going to happen in 2019 as it relates to our economy and our growth? Sure thing. So, you know, the presentation I gave last week at our convention, we always really sort of divide it into three sections. First, we talk about what's happening with the broader economy. Then we talk a bit about 
housing markets, and then we really zero in on what's happening with mortgage lenders. And in those three sections, there are different stories to tell, right? The the broader economy is just doing fantastically right now. The unemployment rate is close to a 50-year low. The economy is growing strongly. Uh, interest rates are increasing, but not terribly quickly. So you know, that combination is just about as good as it can get for, for housing and mortgage markets. Um, I know people are worried about the recent increase yeah, in, I was just in gonna mortgage say, rates. How is that, yeah, how is that good for mortgage markets, right? So really, sure it's that the um, you know the the strength in the job market I think is going to far outweigh any of the headwinds coming from from the higher mortgage rates, and we are finally beginning to see the pace of wage growth really pick up, and that really is the primary determinant of somebody feeling confident enough to go out and buy a home. So. Uh, yes, we, we do expect rates are going to go higher. So with the job market as strong as it is, with inflation picking up a little bit, we expect the Fed's going to increase their short-term rate target in December of this year and probably three more times next year. So short-term rates are going to go up, but that 30-year mortgage rate that most people are so fixed on, you know, we're a little below 5% today. We think we're going to be you know, maybe five and a quarter by the end of next year. So uh, you know, you joke with people in our industry. If you know, if you've been in this industry for 20 or, or 30 years, five percent is still a remarkably low mortgage rate. And uh, I think consumers just need to, uh, you know, realize that you know, while five is certainly higher than the three and a half we had there for a bit, uh, five is still a very competitive mortgage rate for most potential home buyers. Yeah, I would agree. And you know, look, I just. Um you know, I had a 35-year career. When I got in, rates were 18.5%. And um, everyone said, yeah, but, you know, and I, of course, I didn't even know what percent was because no one went to school for any of this, right? Finance wasn't a big thing. It was still industry and trades, right? And, um, you know, everyone said, yeah, I know you guys still did loans back then, but that price of homes were so much lower. And I said, yeah, but it's all relative. I mean, it is all a relative, uh, you know, incomes are tremendously higher, of course, you know, to compensate for that. So, so I appreciate you saying that five and a quarter is really good because it really is. It still is very, very good. Um, okay. So before you head into any more data on that, let me ask you this question. Um, if you were on the other side of this call and hearing this, um, and you were a mortgage lender or real estate agent, what would you tell consumers. You know, I think part of it is, you know, we we kind of balance greed, right? Greed and fear quite a bit in the economy. It's always like that with inflation or deflation. It's always greed and fear. So we're now, you know, sort of crossing over into this this fear mode with some of our consumers and maybe quite a few of our consumers. And it's our job as professionals in this industry to help them understand, not push them back to greed, but help them understand um, that this, how this really measures up in what it means for mortgage payment. But what would you be saying to a real estate agent or to a consumer to help them get off the cliff, so to speak, in what they're hearing in the, the news with rates? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to talk about it as three legs of a stool when it comes to housing affordability. So the first and most important leg is a household income. 
And as I mentioned, with the job market as strong as it is, the unemployment rate near a 50-year low, we think it's going to go even lower. We think it will get to about 3.5% by this time next year. And wage growth picking up, we're seeing median household income now at $61,000. That's up from $54,000 just five years ago. So the household uh, income leg, incredibly strong, going to get better. The mortgage rates, absolutely, we're up 150 basis points from where we were about a year and a half ago. And you know that's a bit of a, of a shock to the system. And people worry, did, did I really miss out on that opportunity to get those historically low rates? And I think you have to be not really backward looking, but you got to look forward, right? Like you're saying, um, okay, that, that was 2016 when you, when you had an opportunity to get a 3.5% rate. Uh, today, you can still get a rate below five. Next year, it'll probably be five and a quarter. And um, right. unlikely that we're going to see a, a large drop in rates over the next several years. Just given right. the outlook for growth between now and, and 2020, don't expect anything that's going to really result in, in a big drop. So second leg, mortgage rates, not a big change from where we are today, uh, but likely going somewhat higher. The third is home prices, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we've seen the past several years is that while housing demand has increased and you have more and more millennials sort of jumping into the pool ready to to buy a home, the builders just have not kept pace. And, you know, inventories of both new and existing homes are remarkably tight. And anybody who's tried to get into this market We'll tell you stories that it's, you know, one bidding war after another, and it can be remarkably frustrating for a potential first-time buyer in particular because, you know, they they got their house in order, know their budget, got their credit together, have their their pre-qual letter, and they just can't find a property. And there are people that in, in many markets, this has just been a regular frustration. So... With that level of imbalance in the market, with demand exceeding supply, in many markets, we've seen home prices going up at twice the rate of income for a couple of years now. And that's just, that's really not sustainable, right? So we've seen home prices nationally grow at about a 6% rate. And over the summer, we, we ran into a bit of a wall in a couple of markets where prices had risen to just such a level that the buyers in the market just, just couldn't afford them anymore. So I don't see that as a, as a drop in demand or any sign of weakness in the housing market. It's just that home prices were running too fast ahead of where buyers could keep up. We're now, we're now beginning yeah. to see inventories pick up a little bit, and we're beginning, beginning to see the pace of home price increase decelerate. Home prices are not dropping by any means. Uh, but instead of going up 6%, like we think they're going to go up in 2018, in 2019, they'd probably go up 4%. So to think about, again, mm-hmm. that comparison, if you're in, a mar- in the market ready to buy and you know that today you can probably get a loan you know, at or a little below 5% at today's level of home prices or a year from now, they're going to, home prices are going to be 4% higher and mortgage rates are going to be, you know, a quarter to a half point higher. I think that's right. the kind of talk that I think you're talking about where a, an agent or a, or a lender could have with a customer and to say, you know, 
it's going to be you know as or more challenging next year uh and if if you're ready to buy and you sort of have that desire to buy this is a pretty good time to be in the market yeah so what would you say to someone because i I know that this is you know the people that i am um, coaching and my husband who's still in the mortgage business what would you say to someone who is you know looking to buy now and saying you know look i want to uh, make sure that I am ahead of the curve at the five and a quarter mark because that's the long-term cost, right? Because appreciation will happen over time. That's a long-term cost for me. Um, I'm willing to accelerate the the offer price that I'm making now. For lack of a better word, they're willing to take an even higher price home at a lower interest rate today. And And of course, when we saw this, Back at the, you know, before the bubble and the credit crunch happened, you know, there's some concern for people. And I know lenders are talking about that concern as well. And appraisals aren't obviously keeping up with them. And that that becomes a challenge. So what are your thoughts on that particular approach? And I mean, from your perspective, when you see people doing something like that, what does that mean? How does that make you feel? And what does it tell you that's happening? So I started my career as a credit risk analyst at at Fannie Mae. So I spent a lot of my time really doing detailed work, trying to determine what were the factors that led to a borrower being successful on a loan versus what led led to trouble. Um, And, you know, the the, the four C's of credit sort of always remain in place, right? And it it does make sense for someone to be able to put a down payment on the property. That sort of discipline you get from saving up for the down payment really is is beneficial in terms of ingraining those good habits of of being a homeowner and, you know, setting some money aside in reserve for when the air conditioning breaks or when you have a plumbing issue. You know, that's that's just part of of being a homeowner. So, uh, you know, managing your credit well, making sure that you're, uh, you know, paying all your debts in in a timely fashion. The, the, those those things matter, um, and you know, in the post-crisis environment, I think everyone, lenders and borrowers, have have gotten more conservative. And some of that's the types of products that are available are just much more plain vanilla. You know, we're seeing for home buyers that you know 90% are opting for 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. Uh, you're, right. you're just not seeing the same mm-hmm. types of short-term arms with deep teasers that you saw. And, uh, you know, almost everything is is a fully documented mortgage. So uh, very little in the way right. of uh, stated income or, or uh, other stated programs. Um, the one place where we are seeing some stretching, and this got a lot of conversation at the convention, is that debt-to-income ratios are rising across the board. So uh, for borrowers getting FHA or VA loans, mm-hmm. you know, not surprising to see half of those borrowers, you know, having debt-to-income ratios of 50% or more. So, you know, not just their, their house payment, but all their other debts, whether that's student debts or, or otherwise, you know, that's a lot of debt to, to manage. And, you know, in this environment where home prices are rising so rapidly, that's really a sign of, of of stress. I think that you have borrowers, as you said, you're really eager to get in, and maybe they're you know they're in a bidding war to to win that property. Um, 
But, you know, whether it's government loans or conventional loans, we are seeing some of this stretching with respect to debt to income. And, and something people are watching, and you want to have that right balance, right? To, to your point, you mm-hmm. want to be able yeah. to help somebody get in a house today that, you know, it's almost always going to be better for them to get to get in today than a year from now in terms of overall cost. Um, but you want to make sure it's sustainable and they're, they're not uh, having a, a payment that is going to really sort of impair their ability to uh, sort of sustain their, their, their lifestyle over time. And, you know, lots to talk about, you know, is, is a residual income approach the right way to think about this, that, you know, once you account, yeah, yeah, once you account for taxes and your mortgage payment and daycare and food and everything else, how, how much do you have left over to sort of cover the bumps that, necessarily come in life. And um, again, I, I hear this, whether we're talking to a group of lenders, whether we're talking to a group of sort of consumer advocates or regulators uh, or mm-hmm. folks at, uh, you know, Fannie and Freddie, I think everybody has their eye on yeah. the ball this time, which is, which is, I think, a healthy place for the industry to be. Um, as you remember, you know, back in 2005 or, or six, it was difficult to have that yeah. kind of a conversation. And now I think everybody is just much more focused on it. Yeah, that's interesting. So now let me tell you what, um, and I and I want to get to the housing and, and the other pieces as well. Um, but uh, the conversations that I've been having, um, I'm on a, a weekly, I mentor on a weekly uh, call with Mortgage Coach, which is one of the um, software programs out, out there that, um, you know, shows a total cost analysis for a house rather than just uh, a um, loan estimate. And, you know, so we're looking for the long haul and not the short. One of the topics that has been very, very hot over the last three weeks is the introduction or reintroduction back into the market of 2-1 buy-downs. And as you're sitting, as you're talking about, and I remember you saying this at, at, at the NAMBA event last month, but I had forgotten about it, but as you had indicated about the fact that uh, income was trailing somewhat the housing inventory, the um, housing prices, the home prices going up, um, that a 2-1 buy-down would seem to be, you know, a great resolution for that because uh, the borrower could have some <coughs> payment relief in the beginning years as their income catches up to, you know, the, the uh, going rate, you know, that being at four and seven-eighths right now. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on the buy-downs? Because I'm sure you remember when, we, gosh, you know, when I first got in the business, we did five, four, three, two, one buy-downs, not just because you had to. I mean, you had to. At that point, when rates were 18%, uh, I don't think we'll see those, but, but I am seeing a lot of two-one buy-downs uh, funded by the subsidy from the seller. Uh, so what are your thoughts there um, from a risk perspective? You know, uh, it's a balance, right? And you know, whether it's a, a buy down or there are an innumerable number of down payment assistance programs out there right now. And uh, to your point, I think it just reflects that for a lot of potential first time buyers, it is, it is just a struggle to get into the property. And, you know, if you have someone that, you know, today is paying 45% of their income in rent, and you have an opportunity to uh, get them in a property where they're paying an equal amount in, in mortgage, that, that's probably a good outcome for that borrower, right? And they 
have proven over time mm-hmm. that able to make that rent payment, um, you know, are, are you are you doing them any, any favor by saying, well, that that mortgage payment is too high? Um, you know, I think it's something that people are going to going to continue to to struggle with. But you know, absolutely, you know, one of the things I highlighted in the presentation that that you saw in last week is that. Uh, we definitely need to focus on where the demand is coming from in the market. So if you go back to 2011, Mm -hmm. there were 1.2 million first-time buyers in the market. Last year, there were 2.1 million. This year, I think we're going to, you know, get closer to 2.3, which will be the highest since we've had, we've had since 1999. And it's just going to grow from there. There's this wave of, 4.7 4.7 million millennials who are now 25 and they are just going to be mm-hmm. uh, soaking up all of the supply in the market over the next, you know, I say sort of five to seven years and everything we're talking about of, you know, balancing that need for lower down payment products, products with a little more flexibility around initial qualification uh, with the fact that, we just still have a situation where demand is in excess of supply, so prices are going to be going up. That's that's really the challenge for right. the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what else would you? Thank you for sharing that. What would you like to talk about um, relative to the housing? So we had sort of that broader perspective, um, and I know you did touch a little bit on housing, um, but was there anything else that you wanted to indicate in there, just so that we cover these three basic areas? Well, I think it's to some of the headlines in the paper the last couple of weeks, which, you know, you've had a number of housing market statistics which have been weaker than markets as a whole were anticipating. So, for example, you had the September report on existing home sales, which uh, which showed a drop. And it's, you know, uh, financial press will will tend to really sort of perseverate on uh, sort of whatever the trend of the moment is. And I think it's it makes sense to take a little bit of a longer view. And also to, you know, for folks that are interested to really sort of dive into the data. And so, for example, that September existing home sales report was really driven by a deep decline in the southern region of the country, which had a major hurricane in September, right? And led to yeah, uh, a... Yeah, a very sharp drop in the you know the Carolinas and and other parts of the South, um, and so I, I I think sometimes the 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 press can be just a little bit too quick to to start running with a story without some of the backing. What what we see in some of our own data is that purchase market activity is still running about two to three percent ahead of where we were last year at this time. So it's cooled off a bit from the beginning of the year, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, some parts of the country, particularly California, uh, we've seen transaction volume fall a lot. And uh, this really is, I think, a result that, you know, you had home prices growing 9 to 10% per year in California. And right. they, they just need to sort of cool off for, you know, 12, 18 months, uh, allow uh, uh, demand and, again, incomes to catch up with where those home prices have gone. Um, but, you know, and I still am, am very confident in our forecast of sort of growing home sales and uh, growing purchase originations over the next several years. 
But the way we're going to get there is by uh, a deceleration in the rate of home price growth. Yeah, it's kind of interesting as to, you know, um, I was thinking about this the other day is that we're, I'm a feeling, I don't know, it popped in my head and I was like, I'm feeling, I haven't thought about this for a while I, because I'm not a real estate agent, but um, I'm feeling that, that change or that wave that goes back to a buyer's market, not a seller's market. Um, and so much was the seller's market because people were just, you know, values of homes were going up. Um, real estate agents were doing great, even though the lending side wasn't doing as good. We were struggling more, you know, before the before the real estate agents got hit by it because I just spoke at a um, the Northern Virginia Association of Realtors um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, and that was that was sort of their trend is they're just kind of the woe is me that I had been hearing in the lending piece for the last you know nine ten months. So it's now kind of hit them. So I'm wondering if we're going to see um, if there's just going to be enough. Um, interest or desire to purchase regardless of interest rates that we see that trend have you know go back the other way where it becomes a buyer's market which could then be the pressure that we need to hold those values down is that that am i on the right track some somewhat i'm not an economist but am i on the right track there that that the hope that we get you know more people more people interested um that it won't matter, you know, if we can educate them well enough, that it won't matter about the rates, um, you know, that they do become interested, that it holds, you know, becomes that buyer's market? Is it possible yeah. with with demand being there? Yeah. I, 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 again, I've, I have no doubt the demand's going to be there, but I think some of it is just having realistic expectations for the market, right? And the, the best uh, sort of statement I heard on this was that, you know, it is not a normal market to have five bids above list price and a bidding war on every single property that comes on the market. That That's not a normal situation. And in a lot of ways, that, that's not a terribly healthy situation for, for real estate. And particularly in a market that's going to be increasingly focused on first-time buyers. Uh, I, I'm not sure what, what your experience was, but, you know, I, uh, for, for us, you know, two of the homes that we bought were in that kind of a frenzied environment where you look at the house and you make a decision as you're walking out the door, whether you're going to put an offer on the house. And, um, right. again, for right. a first time buyer, that, that is, that is nerve wracking. Right. Right. Yes, and, and then the, the, the third time I bought, you know, we had the wonderful opportunity of really actually having a, some time to consider it. And over a couple of weeks, sort of go back a couple of times and think about, is this a place right for us? Is it you know, the right budget for us? And yeah. um, that's, in my mind, that's closer to a normal market. And, and that's not, that wasn't even a right. buyer's market, right? That's just a time when there are enough properties listed that they don't go in a week. You know, it, they, they, they might be, yeah. you know, it's actively being marketed for a month or six weeks or something. And, um, and, and that that would be a very good place for for the housing market to sort of sort of come to come to rest, more of yeah. an equilibrium. And it's just been such a strong yeah. seller's market for so long. I think you know agents and lenders have gotten used to that. But um, I, I, I think many would appreciate a return back to normalcy. Yeah. Well, I know. You know, my daughter just went through this too. I mean, she just bought her um, second home. She sold her house you know, when it was really popular to sell over a year ago, you know, over a year ago. 
and said, you know, I just want to make sure that I want to uh, live where I think I want to live, so I'm going to rent in that area. I'm going to kind of snoop it out, right? She did that, very smart. She's a millennial, saved more money, right? Even shared her, her uh, townhouse, which she was paying $3,200 a month for, for rent. <laughs> uh, shared that with somebody else after, you know, living on her own and went into the market and got outbid, got outbid, got outbid, finally said, you know what, I'm done. I'm just not going to look anymore. And then something came on the market and she ran over, made the offer in the house. Right. Got the house, right? <laughs> had, had no choice. And, and I'm glad she did and I'm glad she waited, but, you know, she had said, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait because it's too competitive for me. And she's the typical millennial that we that we see and I, I don't mean to just say millennial but a lot of the second you know the move up buyers or second home buyers are not buying they're waiting um, yeah they're not willing to give up their three and a half percent rate or four percent and so they're kind of waiting and that really is why we're seeing this big purchase push in the first time home buyer segment because no one else is really buying um, but yeah so now I see that so I guess I shouldn't have said that we would go to a buyer's market, but more back to the equilibrium of, you know, a nice steady market where people have time to make um, good decisions for themselves, you know, and I think that the millennials have already started that trend because they're just more conservative than the others. Right. And and to be they in a place where, you know, if, if you're looking for a house, you have a couple of properties to look at, not a not a single property, right? And so I think, I think we're getting yeah. there with some additions to inventory, but um, I mean, to what to what you had said, uh, you know, this change in the market that real estate agents are seeing now, uh, you know, lenders have been feeling for for a while now. So, uh, you want to talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the lending market? Yes, yes, please. Let's so, you know, what, one thing certainly is the continuation of a trend where uh, independent mortgage bankers are t are taking a bigger share of the business than had been true just a couple of years ago. And uh, the most recent data we have, IMBs accounted for about 54% of the market, um, and they continue to gain share uh, while some of the, the larger banks have continued to lose share. And, you know, our membership includes all, all of these folks, along with community banks and, and credit unions. And the way I think about it is that really independent mortgage banks were really well positioned for this change in the nature of the mortgage market. So uh, large banks tend to have a, a lot of customers uh, that they service mortgages for, right? And so mm -hmm. when you get a refi wave, yeah, yeah that, that's sort of the natural first call for a borrower is the person they send the check to every month uh, in terms of their payment. And so, so banks and large banks in particular are really well positioned for a refi wave. Uh, independent mortgage banks, on the other hand, for years and years have tended to be more focused on the purchase market and within that more focused on the government purchase market, so FHA and VA and USDA loans. And so we're in a world now where the share of home sales going to first-time buyers is increasing and it's you know younger first-time buyers who uh, – really can only make uh, lower down payments. And so they are sort of natural candidates for sort of the, the strong points for a lot of the IMBs out there. So that's what we're seeing in terms of, of market share in the business right now. Yeah. 
I would I would see that as well. And of course, I asked that question while we were in Nam, but I'm just wondering, you know, what was going to happen with FHA uh, premiums and things like that. And it and it sounds like they're going to remain pretty steady. Yeah. So FHA has you know a number of challenges. Um, one, the the reverse mortgage program that they have, the the HECM, uh, continues to mm-hmm. struggle in terms of of really being a a, a viable product for for FHA. Um, they also had uh, a fair amount of losses from from Puerto Rico and the hurricanes last year. Um, so I, I would not expect any drop in the FHA mortgage premium anytime soon. Um, they're trying to encourage, uh, particularly some of the banks, to re-enter the FHA program. A lot of the banks had had left it sort of in the post-crisis environment, um, but, yeah, but continues to be a challenge. Well, most of their focus in the banks, you know, as because I was with an independent mortgage banker and IMB, and they, um, you know, the banks were buying up a lot of market share in the jumbo space, you know, just as a survival. Well, I shouldn't say survival, but you know, post crisis, that seemed to be where where they were heading, you know, in that jumbo market. And I know there was a reason behind it. I just can't recall what it was, but you know, they were buying a heck of a lot of bar- market share in the jumbo space, and that was that was uh, a struggle on the IMB side, which I think really pushed us into going into the FHA and VA, you know, the government market, um, because we couldn't compete on the jumbo side. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me and the way the way I talk about it is there really are different philosophies for different types of lenders, right? So the, the IMBs tend to view mortgage as a business and, it's, you know, I, 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 an IMB might be involved in origination, might be involved in servicing, but they're, they're all about sort of the, the life cycle of the mortgage. For a bank, mortgage is frequently a product, and they think about it as a product as opposed to a business. And for a, for a bank, if you get a customer who wants a jumbo mortgage, that's a fantastic opportunity because you not only get their mortgage, but you might get their wealth management business, some of their deposits, some of their other lending needs. And so it really is a different focus. Um, And as you mentioned, over the last several years, a lot of the the large banks in particular really, really focused on that jumbo business, providing very, very competitive rates with the hope of getting more and more uh, activity from that set of uh, higher net worth customers. Right, and the supplemental, the supplemental product offerings as well. You know, exactly. I think that FHA is going back to FHA for a second. And I think FHA um, and perhaps the October existing housing home, home sales is going to be lower as well because of the. Um, it's not just Puerto Rico, but it now is you know, the south, the uh, eastern coast, right, you know, down in North and South Carolina, but then also down in Alabama. We haven't even had that hit any of these statistics on the weaker housing. And it's going to be really, really important for people to understand these numbers as they come out so that, um, you know, we can circumvent the fear factor continuing to grow because I, I hate for us to think, you know, a year from now that uh, consumers just lost all faith in what was happening. They heard that it, the housing's weaker, so they think that values are going down. They just don't. 
when they, I believe, and I know this from all my years of <laughs> talking to clients, when they hear existing home sales down, because they'll come in and talk to me about that, um, they hear value down. That's what they hear. It's not right, but that's what they hear. And it scares them into buying because they're afraid we're going to go back into a bubble. And they yeah. use the word all the time. Um, and I think it's it, in for our own sanity, right, and our own ability to continue to make money as lenders and real estate agents, we have to um, not listen to or not drink the Kool-Aid. We're going to have to, um, you know, really make it a point to be, take a proactive approach in educating everyone to understand where we're at and where we're heading. Would you agree? I, I would. And the, the way I've talked about it, again, is that I think it's really very healthy that we're moving from a place where home prices are going up 6% a year to one where they're going to go up 4% or 3% per year, which is really much more sustainable over time. You know, I think people should welcome the fact that uh, both you're getting builders slowly increase their activity and get more new homes on the market. But at this level of prices, you're beginning to see existing inventories pick up a bit from four months of supply to four and a half. Again, six months is normal. So we're still far away from normal, but we're finally moving oh, in the yeah. right direction of getting some additional inventory on the market. So I, I, yeah. honestly, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about you know, next spring's home buying season. I think we're going to be in a good place because we'll, we'll finally have some additional inventory on the market that, that buyers could look into. Yeah. Okay. So any, is there anything else in the mortgage space that you'd like to share with everyone? So you, you mentioned some of the, the challenges that lenders are facing. It really is sort of both, uh, both sides at this point where the, the costs of originating a mortgage are still quite high uh, and they've, they've continued to grow and it really is all aspects of the process. Um, really a challenge for, for mortgage lenders. And this is at a time when total mortgage volume is, is down. So the mortgage industry originated uh, more than 1.7 trillion in 2017, and that's dropped to about 1.6 trillion this year. We think it'll be relatively the same next year. Um, that's about a 4% uh, increase next year in purchase, but another 12% another decline in refis. The the other side of the challenge is that you still see an incredibly competitive market out there. So uh, le many lenders are seeing not just their costs rise, but their revenues drop. And so if you get a bunch of mortgage lenders together, most of the conversation is about, I call it margin compression, that you know, it is more and more difficult to be profitable as, as a lender. Um, for potential customers, that means that, you know, you have a lot of lenders out there who are extraordinarily interested in working with you, you know, or if you're uh, a realtor, uh, you know, you may find that your lenders are sort of tripping over themselves in terms of eagerness to, to, to work with you. And so I think that's for folks outside of the industry that not, may not be immediately clear, but you have a lot of, uh, you know, very, very, very enthusiastic lenders wanting to do business uh, uh, with, you know, any qualified customer that comes in the door. Right. Yeah, well, no question. I know everybody is working twice as hard for half the income and, you know, in the lending space. Um, okay. So let me ask you as we kind of, you know, start closing, getting towards the closing up here. There's a couple of things I'd like to ask 
because your thoughts on, you know, the presence of online lenders and what, what will be happening in that market as we continue to go forward because, you know, technology is really big. And, of course, every I think that's where some of the cost is happening with everybody else. All, you know, everyone non-online lender, right, <laughs> where the cost is happening is because, we're, you know, they're trying to find ways that they can compete with, with um, those online lenders, you know, and so they're introducing software and revamping things because I hear this with everybody. Um, that's one side of it. The second piece of this is um, the mergers. What do you see? I'm going to say both mergers and, I mean, I know that there is a local um, or regional bank here in our area that my husband actually works for that um, merged with another regional bank about a year ago. Now that same company that just gobbled. So it was Middleburg Bank. I'll tell you who it was. Middleburg Bank uh, merged with Access National, and Access National just merged with another uh, bank union, union from um, down south, Union Financial or Union Bank. Are you going to? Are we going to see more of that as this? Um, I, I hate the word price compression, but you know, as things tighten up and it becomes more difficult and more expensive to originate loans, do you think we're going to see more mergers? Do you think we're going to see more half mergers and half, for lack of a word, a better word, I hate these things, but the implosion that we saw before, where we saw more companies going out of business because they just can't afford to compete. Not for the same reasons as before, but just for the competition piece of it. So looking forward, where do you see those two specific areas happening with merger and with online um, lenders as well? Yeah, great question. So let me take your, your second one first because that, that's easy. So absolutely, we're going to see more mergers, more acquisitions, uh, more consolidation. So you know, there have been some announcements from some of the, the largest lenders out there that they have layoffs of, you know, in some cases their uh, sort of back office staff, in some cases even on the, the, the front office, their, their sales staff of just right-sizing their organizations for the size of the market today. Um, and we're seeing, you know, some smaller or mid-sized organizations pairing up to try to get to a scale to sort of uh, sort of struggle their way through this this tougher environment. Now, with respect to, to online lenders, what we can see is for uh, those lenders that have a uh, a call center model or or an online model, that's tended to be really extraordinarily successful in a refire environment tends to have a much more challenging time in a purchase oriented market that uh, for a refi it's just it's just all about rate and it's, and it's about how quickly you can get a competitive rate offer out to a consumer for purchase uh, particularly for a first time buyer it's just a longer process of sort of being there able to answer those questions able to help a new customer through a challenging and sort of daunting process. Um, the other thing I just wanted to highlight is, um, you know, on the technology space, a lot of very exciting things happen, uh, happening uh, in terms of technology being deployed in mortgage right now. And, you know, new customers are going to see that, uh, that the, the customer experience of completing a mortgage application and submitting all your materials is uh, getting less painful than it has been in the past that, you know, instead of mailing in, you know, several pounds of, of paper, 
you know, either you're, you're utilizing a, a lender's uh, digital portal to, to send some documents or in some cases, uh, you know, providing credentials so they can go directly to, you know, your financial institution to be able to get right. that critical mm-hmm. data for the application. And I think mm-hmm. uh, we're seeing more and more of that being used across the industry. We have a tech survey that where, where we highlighted some of those results at our convention. Um, and you're seeing a lot of consumer willingness, and this is an interesting one, uh, many times uh, more willingness from uh, older repeat buyers than from that, that first-time buyer. And, interesting. Uh, I was going to ask you this, yeah, if they have yeah, any so, willingness to give you that. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. we've definitely seen a lot of take-up, and this has so many potential benefits, benefit for the the, the customer in terms of a much more pleasant process and benefit for the lender just driving down costs and you know, that ultimately really benefits the borrower as well because in such a competitive market, if one lender is taking advantage of something which improves the speed and lowers costs, most lenders are going to head in that direction just to remain competitive. Well, and it'll be helpful for the consumer to recognize that all the lenders are utilizing that mechanism anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that, exactly. that helps with, with that approach, um, given that situation. Okay, wonderful. Okay, let me ask you this then, um, as we, we wrap up here, is there anything else that you'd like to share light on, um, to share with the community, um, or anything that you'd like to share about, um, you know, a strategy moving forward, or something that you say, hey, just keep an eye on this, watch this, and you'll know when something changes, is about to change. Is there anything that you'd like to give us in any one of those three categories? Maybe just a couple of thoughts on the overall policy environment. So, you know, this administration's been in office for a couple of years now, and we've seen the heads of all the regulatory agencies, uh, almost all the regulatory agencies, turn over at this point. Generally, from a housing finance point of view, uh, I think it's been positive in the sense that, you know, we had the Dodd-Frank Act passed in 2011 and then a whole wave of regulations that were pushed out from 2014 and 2015. They've made the system mm-hmm. safer, but in some ways the pendulum swung a little bit too far to being overly uh, sort of burdensome and really constraining the ability of many borrowers to get access to credit. I think some of that's being rationalized a bit while maintaining the safety. So I think overall environment is very good from that policy perspective. That said, we do have a couple of very important changes in leadership uh, over the next year. So we'll have new chief executive, new chief executive officers at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, they'll have a new regulator. Uh, we have a new CEO at the Mortgage Bankers Association, so yeah. uh, some new some new leadership in the housing finance space uh, might be an opportunity to take sort of a fresh look at a, a number of items that have that have been outstanding. But uh, for the most part, I think the the policy backdrop is uh, is favorable. The economic backdrop, as we talked about, is quite quite strong. We're just waiting for the the housing market to get to new equilibrium, but. You know, generally, I'm very positive about 2019. Yeah. I, oh, I know. It sounds like it. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, we are, if, you know, from an actionable standpoint, which is what this podcast is about, you know, personal and professional growth, from an action standpoint, um, you know, I, I kind of feel if I were still in lending, I'd be saying, I'm going to get myself ready. 
I'm going to get myself in a position that um, I'm marketing to first-time home buyers, that I'm still keeping in touch with my past clients because as values go up, they will finally be able to get out of the house. You know, there's so many baby boomers. I'm one of them, you know, that my home is way too big for me, right? Um, I've got a different reason why I'm staying in my house, but because my daughter is getting married next year and she wants her reception on our property. <laughs> so I have to stay here, right? <laughs> that's my reason. But, uh, yep. you know, that's a dream of hers. So that's why I'm staying. But, you know, if, if that wasn't the case, we'd be gone, right? We'd be gone now. But there are some people that, that can't be gone because they just don't know, you know, what to do next or they're not quite ready for retirement or whatever the case may be. But I would be getting myself in the proper position and particularly as we, you know, get towards the end of the year here and we're creating our business plans and now maybe listening to this and tweaking that plan to say, you know, get yourself in position to be marketable to first-time home buyers, to uh, continue to keep in touch with your second and third-time home buyers, so that um, you could have uh, make sure that when they're ready to make that move, whether it's downsizing, right-sizing, just moving, uh, that you're in a position to be there and there, and also being there for your real estate agents and your um, partners because they too will be having. Um, you know, a nice influx of business that will come in and you want to be the one who's there. Um, so I think that the power in this conversation is to take some of this information to them and help them realize that it's going to get better before it gets worse. And and I think that's really a key factor. I think, I think we've seen what is going to be the worst because technology looks like it's going, you know, happening, um, going to make it easier. Um, consumer confidence will be on the rise. I think we've gone to the lowest part will be, and now it'll be on the rise even more. Um, and inventory is starting to breathe a little bit. So this is this is prime perfect time. And um, so I'm with you. I'm with you. Only because of everything you said, I'm with you. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for this. And hence the reason why I love having um, – love having you on, you know, and, and as you and I talked, I used to have Dave Stevens on to talk about this. So it's great that I now have you. <laughs> so thank well, you. Wonderful for to talk so with much. you today. Very much appreciate Yeah, Thank the you time so much you. for sharing. This is really, really good. Oh, sure. And um, I, do you, are you able to share your presentation with our listeners? Would we be able to get a link for that? Yeah, I, I can, can, can I send can send a PDF and I'll create a link either way. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll send you the PDF. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, because I have I have it from Namba, but I would want to have the most recent data. Um, so that'll be wonderful. So everybody who's listening, you'll be able to click on the link and get access to this so that you can um, go out there and share it with people and share it with your office as well. Get everybody um, you know, on board with the excitement that will be happening next year if you put yourself in the right position, I think. Um, that's going to be key. So, Mike, thank you so much for your time today, um, for your wisdom, uh, for your insight here. You know, we, we just don't always get to hear that out in the field and hear from someone like you. So it's really, really powerful. I hope you realize how powerful it can be for us. Um, so thank you. Excellent. Good to talk with you, and we'll right, talk everybody. again soon. Yeah, sounds good. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you again for listening in. If it was your first time listening in, welcome to the community. And if it's your third or fourth or hundredth time. I always appreciate your grat um, and have so much gratitude and your comments. So please don't forget to go to iTunes and continue to write reviews so that we can remain on top. I will talk to you next time. 
Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Looking to streamline and launch your practice by accessing Jen's tools, courses, classes, presentations, and resources? Visit jenduplessis.com to learn about the features and benefits thousands of other professionals have experienced by enrolling in Jen's lifetime membership program. Isn't it about time you consider a coach to take your business to new heights? Contact Jen to start your application process today. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in next week.